I definitely had that feeling of like, um, is like, is this necessary? Is it purposeful? Who am I to speak up? So I definitely had moments like that. But there would be times where I would see things or or hear things, and I'm like, oh no, that's just not okay. And I, the older I got, the less and less tolerance that I had for silence. Values. We talk a good game about having values, living our values, and even running a business with our values. But like, what does that really mean? (laughs) It's not enough to have them written down somewhere. It's not enough to put them on your website. It's not enough to talk through them with a new hire. No, values can be, should be, the filter for how we do everything in our businesses. Part of our job as business owners, as leaders, is to ensure that the values we hold dear are operationalized in our work. It's our job to make sure values turn into systems, product features, or boundaries with clients. Strong leaders turn values into action. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that transcends the hype to ask what's really working to run and grow a small business today. Now, this month on What Works, we're talking about leadership, and specifically, we're talking about how leaders operationalize their values, how they turn values into action, structure, and systems. I'm fascinated by the creative ways that entrepreneurs operationalize their values. I'm fascinated by how values make decisions easier, policies clearer, and plans stronger. I'm fascinated by how brands display immense leadership by doing things differently than the norm, all inspired by their values. And I'm fascinated, of course, by the results that businesses see because of how they operationalize their values. Stronger communities, bigger movements, more brand recognition, and yes, often more profit too. Displaying strong leadership and operationalizing our values isn't squishy, and it's certainly not just a nice to have. It's become the bar we have to rise above if we want the work we do to be relevant and meaningful. Now, over the course of this month, we're going to hear from leaders who have operationalized their values in a variety of ways. You'll hear from Shannon Siriano Greenwood, who has built an incredible values-driven community with RebelCon. Shannon is now expanding outside of the Richmond area, and I wanted to hear how she's taking her values into new territory. You'll hear from Rob Walling, a serial entrepreneur, podcaster, and the founder of MicroConf. Rob has intentionally created an event experience that's different than others in the same field by focusing on his values. You'll hear from Melissa Urban and Carrie Kohler-Murchison from Whole30 on why they're investing in making the Whole30 community a more diverse and inclusive community and what steps they're taking to do it. But today, my guest is Erica Corday, the founder of Silver Immersion, a Baltimore area hair and makeup business, as well as a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach. She's also the host of Pause on the Play, a podcast where she shares insight and expertise on fulfilling your values for diversity and inclusion in your business. I met Erica at She Podcast Live in Atlanta last October, and I knew she'd be a perfect fit to kick off this month on leadership. Erica and I talk about the frustrating origin story of her first business and whether she's always been someone willing to speak up and share her truth. 
We also talk about how she models her values for her team members and the clients they service and why that's a key part of how she leads. Plus, we talk about why she ventured into the world of coaching and how she settled on diversity, equity, and inclusion as her specialty. This is a great episode to listen to if you felt the call to bring your own values into your business more concretely, but don't know where to start or how to lead the change. Now, let's find out what works for Erica Corday. Erica Corday, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Tara. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I am excited to hear more about your story and just really dig into how you have um, found your way as a leader in not one business, but two businesses. Um, And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how your leadership has really blossomed as a business owner. And I want to get started with your first company, uh, which is called Silver Immersion. How did you get into the hair and beauty industry? So I've actually been in the beauty industry now for, oh gosh, I'm, I'm going to age myself terribly here. It's probably been about 22 going on 23 years at this point. Um, it was it was, it was was actually something I wanted to do in high school. And my mom was like, no, you have to go do this like international baccalaureate program because I went to a high school that actually had cosmetology as well. And she's like, no, you have to go do this brain stuff. And I'm like, all right. And then graduated high school and did it anyway. And along the lines, I worked in a number of salons. I've managed salons. I was um, a cosmetology instructor. I'm a senior cosmetologist. So I can actually um, take people through an apprenticeship to be licensed. And I eventually hit a point where I worked in a salon. And I felt like there were things that I wanted to be able to do to support my clients. And... Unfortunately, part of that was because I was the only black stylist and I happened to also be the highest revenue generating stylist. And I was unable to get the things that I needed product wise and support wise. And I had gone through all of these things and eventually hit this wall. And I was just like, I'm done. So I started my own. And it started with um, me beginning to do hair and makeup for weddings. And then it kind of became this thing of, well, People want to pay me for it, so I guess I have a business. And I I started as an accidental entrepreneur, not really planning to have a business, not having any idea of what that actually meant. And it started with me doing hair and makeup for weddings. It then went to me having a physical brick-and-mortar studio, which I mm. still have, and I have a salon with it as well. I have, I have staff. I have um, artists that work for me. We go out on site and took on the life of its own. And I learned a lot the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to hear more about that. But can you take us back to the day that you decided to go out on your own? What was going through your head that day? Oh, wow. So I, I had a boss at the time who had gotten me a meeting with our corporate office, which was in Minnesota. So um, I worked inside of a, in a spa that was in a bigger place. And of course, being under corporate, I had a lot of limitations with what I could kind of do or not do on my own. Mm-hmm. And the day of this meeting, he called in and said, yeah, I'm not feeling well, or I have something else to do. And either way, he said, I'm not coming in. I'm canceling the meeting. And I'm like, I've been waiting for this meeting for months. I Ugh. fought for this. And he was just like, well, I'm just not going to do it. And something, literally something snapped. I was like, okay. So I literally went in. I actually went through all of the clients that I was bringing in. I saw exactly how much money 
I was generating as a stylist with the hours that I was putting in and how much I was taking home. And I was like, that's it. And at this point, I was already sharing a studio with someone else um, and doing hair and makeup for weddings. And I finally just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I have a, a space that has a second floor. And I called my father-in-law that day and I said, can you help me to change some things so I have lighting and electricity and things like that? He's like, sure I can. And within about two months, I began to bring my clients over because that day, I knew that everything that I wanted to bring to my clients that was important to me as a service provider, as a supporter, as an individual, none of those things mattered. All that mattered was I was making them money and that was all that they saw. And I was no longer willing to be okay with my clients having to just be okay with just okay. Mm. I'm very used to hearing from business owners and entrepreneurs who are doers in the way that you're you're saying, like, I made this decision, I called my father-in-law, we <laughs> got that stuff done, right? Like that, not that it's um, not exceptional, but I am used to hearing that story. I think the piece of the story that I am not so used to hearing that I think is especially pertinent when we're talking about leadership here is that it sounds like you were vocal about your needs, vocal about what you saw happening or not happening. Um, at different points throughout the lead up to that action taking. Have you always been someone who has been willing to speak up or is that a skill that you've developed over time? I think I think some pieces of it were just kind of inherent. Um, But I definitely didn't I definitely didn't grow up feeling as though I always had a platform for my voice to be heard. Um, I definitely kind of had that feeling of like, you know, well, um, is you know, is this necessary? Is it purposeful? Who am I to speak up? So I definitely had moments like that. But there would be times where I would see things or or hear things, and I'm like, oh no, that's just not okay. And I, mm-hmm. the older I got, the less and less less tolerance that I had for silence. I just couldn't do it anymore, especially when I knew what I was bringing to the table, the the caliber of my work ethic the level to which I was looking to not only just do a good job, but to service people in a, in a way that, I mean, any, any, I can, I think it'll apply to men too, but I think women fully understand any woman that's ever had a, a like great experience getting her hair done. There is a connection there. That is a whole art. Mm -hmm. And it meant a lot to me to be able to support this entire demographic that wasn't accurately being serviced where they were already the minority, which was unfortunately a part of it as well. And to feel like it wasn't happening, I could see that there were bigger issues there. And so being quiet just was not, that wasn't happening. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Okay. So looking forward then to Silver Immersion as it exists now, and and as you started to envision it even, um, you make very clear on your website on the way that you present this business that diversity and equality and uh, representing the needs of people who aren't used to having their needs represented is an extremely important part of your values. And so it sounds like this was something that was always really clear from you from the beginning, obviously. Um, but I'm curious kind of what shape that took for you? How did you operationalize that as you were getting the business started? And how has that evolved over time? 
So when I started the business, it wasn't something that I was clear on in the way that it is clear now. It was something that I was doing because to me, that was Mm. a part of just simply how I operated. It was how I moved through life. So I didn't think that I needed to speak about the fact that it was a place that anybody would be welcome and that we absolutely fostered all kinds of beauty because for me it was like well of course why would I do anything else but it you know over the years it was not hard to see that that was not the norm and the more people that you work with the more conversations you have and you can hear and see what's not the norm and what it is that you take for granted and I think that that's a big thing that a lot of times people don't realize when they go into business, you know these things in your head. Everyone else on the outside doesn't. And so when I rebranded, all of these things that we did as far as how we serviced clients, how I chose to um, hire, retain, and you know, in some cases even let go of people, um, how we advertised, the photos we used, the language that we used, how we shifted our contracts to be inclusive, these things became not just something that we did, but something that we talked about and something that we advocated for in a place so that everyone else knew the things that we took for granted. We knew how we advocated for people, but if they didn't know that and they had possibly had a bad experience, then it can make it difficult to just kind of sift through the laundry list of options to know where you can be at home. So I chose to make it very apparent from the word go and then let it be something that again not only was there on the website it was there when you spoke to us our contract verbiage is inclusive the emails that we send are inclusive we made it a point that these things went all the way through so that it was something that we were aware of but that it was also something that they as the client could be aware of every step of interacting with us every touch point. Hmm. I think that's such an important differentiation to make that difference between like, these are the values that we just assume that we have, even if they're on some memo somewhere Mm -hmm. that people can see. And then these are the values that we talk about and advocate for and live and involve people with on a daily basis. Um, and I want to, I think I want to get more into that as we talk about your second business then <laughs> as well. And that, that, that actually being the work, uh, some of the work that you are doing now, um, with, with other people and with other businesses, but I'm curious if there's ever been a time, uh, with silver immersion, um, or outside of that experience where you made your values clear and those values were confronted or, um, yeah, just pushed back on by someone else? Oh, I think business-wise, I was very fortunate in that I didn't so much have anyone push back. I had had people that would come to us as clients because they had received pushback. So Mm. I saw what it looked like when we were the haven for, you know, the polar opposite of when that pushback did happen. Um, I think when I received it, one of the things that I guess it would be personal and professional, but I had um, a networking group that is it's online and then it has like meetups uh, each month. And one of the people that I had met in the local chapter, we had talked and we had really clicked. And she said, you know, I'd love to 
highlight your brand and the things that you do on my blog. So we talked, she put up an article, she had images of what we did. And one of the actual in-person meetups, I got to actually meet her and it was actually really good. And when it was time to go, we were talking and this was, um, this was a white woman. And she said to me, you know, I don't do a lot of black weddings, but when I do, I'll be sure to send them your way. Mm. And it kind of took a second. I was just kind of like, I, I don't, I don't understand. 60% of our clients are white. You've seen who we service. I don't know why that matters. And it was one of those things that really hit home for me in that no matter what we did, there were still going to be some people that it still fell on deaf ears. And that one, it was not my problem, but two, it gave me more purpose and push to yell that much louder about what we were doing. Because who may have come in contact with someone like her that you may have not meant harm, but what you did was harmful. It was problematic right. at best. And, you know, it may have been race. It may have been um, who they were marrying. It may have been what, you know, this joining of these blended families looks like. And you just don't agree with that. Whatever it was, it could have been something that you made someone else feel uncomfortable because they didn't feel accepted. And so it just really reinforced the fact that just as much as you think you know it or you've said it and you've done it, repeat it 20 more times and then 20 more after that. Amen. <laughs> that goes for so many things, yes. but especially for this one. I am yes. um, curious how you would talk about or characterize your role as a leader in Silver Immersion. You've talked about the fact that you have staff, you have, um, you know, there are people, there are all sorts of different people that you work with. I'm assuming you probably come into contact with a lot of other vendors as well at different events or weddings. Um, and I think you're probably a leader for your clients as well. How do you think of yourself as a leader in that business? To me, so much of leading is is modeling. And so, you know, I do sometimes still, still, still work with clients. And so when I'm actually working with them, to me, it's important to hold that same type of space that I would want for my, uh, my, my staff to hold for the clients that they're working with to model what empathy looks like. Because the reality is, is we do a lot of work with weddings and you get every range of emotions known to man mm -hmm. when you work with weddings. So being able to work someone through a moment that is stressful or difficult or, or, you know, happy, any of these things that can come up, being able to hold space and allowing for them to feel like they can be an, a whole individual as they are as an individual. And so for me, that's a big part of it. And, you know, when I see other wedding vendors, I, I do have conversations around what, you know, diversity and inclusion can look like, what it looks like for us, what does it look like with them? These are the types of vendors that, um, I look to connect with that have similar values. I have conversations with those that maybe don't appear as though they're reflecting it. And then we have conversations as to why that's happening and what are some things that can be done around that? Because sometimes it's not a matter of, I don't want to, it's a matter of maybe I don't know how, or I don't have access right. to, or 
this is what I've done and this is what I have to reflect. And so everyone assumes that this is where the buck stops. So it's, it's very much being open and having conversation to allow people to feel comfortable enough to be honest and open. But I have to model that. No one's going to be open or vulnerable with me if they think that I'm going to kind of crack the whip and tell them, no, you can't do that. Or, you know, a bride gets excited and it's like, you know, we have to be on time. You have to get out of this right now. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you have to just really set the tone and you have to toe that line and hold that space. And in doing that, I am showing what it is that I want versus giving you a laundry list of these are the things that I expect you to do. Yeah. Awesome. You'll hear how Erica became a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, the last decade was all about huge, open online platforms with loose relationships and even looser ethics. This new decade is starting out with a step in the opposite direction. Today, more than ever, people are craving a way to create deep, meaningful connections online. They want to find communities that mean something to them, and they want to work with like-minded people to learn and grow. This is your opportunity. You can be the person to bring them together, and Mighty Networks makes it possible. Mighty Networks is everything you need to create a safe, private space for the people you care about. Whether you're building a movement, training a growing group, advocating for a cause you care about, or all of the above, Mighty Networks brings you the infrastructure to do it. It's your community hub, your online course platform, and a membership powerhouse all in one. We use Mighty Networks to create a dedicated private space for small business owners to trade notes on what's working and get support on what's not. Who will you bring together with the Mighty Network? To start your Mighty Network free of charge, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. Simplify, prioritize, thrive. That's what we all want, right? Instead, our businesses seem to get more complicated and our attention gets more fractured. Our working hours feel frantic, overwhelming, and even turbulent. And worse, it can bleed over into our personal lives too. Of course, it doesn't have to be this way. I believe every one of us is capable of leading a simplified, prioritized, and thriving business, but we have to build the habits that allow us to do exactly that. What Works is thrilled to share a brand new community learning experience called 100 Days of What Works. It's an invitation to join us for building the habits that help us simplify, prioritize, and thrive little by little over 100 days. 100 Days of What Works delivers a prompt, experiment, or idea for re-examining your business every weekday for 100 days. You can complete each prompt in 20 minutes or less. Now, over these 100 days, you'll develop new habits that make you a calmer, stronger leader. You'll incorporate working on your business into your everyday routine, and you'll do it in community with others so you never feel alone. The goal isn't to tell you how to run your business, but instead to uncover the information you've missed or forgotten as you've built it. Instead of obsessing on shiny and new, we'll dig deep and develop habits around restraint, consistency, patience, and courage. Instead of trying to learn as much as possible in as little time as possible, 
we'll slow down and take stock of what we already know to be true. 100 Days of What Works is a different way to approach building your business, and it's based on everything I've learned about becoming an effective leader for myself, my team, and my community. And I can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about 100 Days of What Works and secure your spot, go to explorewhatworks.com slash 100. That's explorewhatworks.com slash the number 100. Let's start to shift gears a little bit because I want to hear more about your um, newer venture, um, which is that you have started coaching and consulting on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, You have a podcast on the subject. You are uh, doing workshops on the subject. Tell me about the decision to make that work an even more upfront part of your life and, and your work, your career. So when I began to take my coaching course, and it was something that I had considered for a while, and it just took a while to finally take the leap. And when I did, it felt like a very natural step being that as a, as a hairstylist and as you know a business owner doing makeup, working in weddings, I had been coaching for probably pretty much all of my adult life inadvertently, not mm-hmm. because I really was doing it knowing what it was, but talking people through things and listening and hearing what isn't being said and giving them that space to have things mirrored back or helping them with problem solving and setting of goals. I had been doing that anyway. And so a lot of the things really came very natural to me. And yet at the same time, I saw these ways that it expanded how I had conversations, how I would connect with people. And as I continued doing it, my coach kind of in a conversation when I'm like, oh, I have to niche down and I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if I'm going to limit myself. And she's like, you know, like diversity is your thing, right? Like this is, <laughs> this is your thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it, <laughs> I guess it kind of is. And it took a while for her me to truly see that full scope of, you know, my husband is white. My children are half black and half white. My friends have always been extremely diverse. I've listened to whatever type of music I chose to listen to. My clientele as a hairstylist is extremely diverse. And to think about the fact that this was a part of how I lived and I was now giving myself full reign to move into it with full intention to support people with this knowledgeably, like knowing this is what I'm doing. I was just, it was, it was a little surreal. Like I've been doing it, but now I'm really doing this. This is happening. Wow. That's such a great story. Um, Tell me how the business, uh, the coaching piece of the business has unfolded. What, um, what does that journey look like? Oh, it's, I swear, I, this is a good example of if you ever like hear like an entrepreneur say like one year has been like three lifetimes. It is real. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I swear, like just in the time since I've started, just in this year alone, it has gone from me being at a mastermind day for a group that I'm in and fully declaring that I wanted to be a public speaker to doing that thing to having another opportunity coming up in 2020 that had had already been um, confirmed, 
to speaking to live groups about these things that I'm very passionate about, to having workshops and having this platform when it comes to social media and my podcast to not only talk about something that is very important and vital to how I live my life, but to hear all of these other people like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm glad it's not just me. Or I just needed a place to talk about this and I didn't know where I could. And it was a safe space. And so being able to talk and then to have people jump on and say, I want to talk with you. I want to listen. And I want to learn from you because I feel safe with you. I know that you're going to challenge me to do more and be better, but you're also not going to shame me. You're not here to make me feel terrible for what I don't know or for what I wasn't aware of before or choices that I made that came from a very different level of awareness. And now being at this place of just seeing so many things that are ahead for me that I just, I had no idea that it was going to happen this way. And I had no idea how many people needed this in the way that I do it. Because a lot of people do this work. And I think every single piece of it and layer of it is necessary at some point in some way for someone. But knowing that what I did resonated and that people wanted it, I mean, that was so affirming. And it, it was, it's a very humbling thing. Yeah. I, I don't have a fully formed question for this yet, so bear with me. But <laughs> um, I'm really curious about the, um, you know, what you said about creating a space, creating an environment, creating um, a, a communication where you can lead and teach and encourage people to grow and challenge them to grow, but without the shame piece. Because I think when it comes to diversity and equity and inclusion, there's a major fear from people who have been doing it wrong, or and we know we've been doing it wrong, or we know we've made missteps. There's such a fear that we're going to be shamed. And I think there's actual shaming going on in that space sometimes as well that is scary. Um, How did you figure out the way you wanted to show up and the way you wanted to communicate as a leader and as a coach when it came from when it comes to the subject that has so much wrapped up in it? So one of the things that really stood out was I remember having some of the women that um, I would interact with either online or in some of these groups begin to tell me some of the places that they were uh, taking in information in these areas, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, just anything anti-racist as a, as a whole. And mm-hmm. this was um, definitely the beginning of my journey. And I remember seeking, you know, looking at who these people were and like kind of what they were teaching, how they were teaching it. And I was struck almost immediately with the tone of how things were going. And it wasn't in a sense of tone policing, but what people were taking from it as the tone. I had one person say this to me and it was mirrored back in a few different ways by other people, but still the same, same main thing of, Oh my gosh, I love being in there and hearing what they have to say and the information, but I could never say anything like, Oh my gosh, I I, I would, Mm -hmm. I'd be petrified. Like, what if I said it wrong? And I I don't want them to, to be mad at me and to yell at me. And 
I like everyone has seen what happens on Twitter if you do something wrong. It's not pretty. And so, you know, I'm hearing these these women in most cases that really wanted to do things differently. And yet they were afraid to do anything because they were afraid if they didn't do it perfectly in the perfect tone, in the perfect place with the perfect person on the perfect day. Oh, my gosh, this is wrong. And cue the dragging of all of the social media spaces. And I kind of looked at it as what I would call a diversity dominatrix. And I couldn't (laughs) fathom this like you're a dirty racist. I'm going to put my boot on your neck. And this is going to be what you're going to take because this is somehow what you think you deserve because of what you didn't know. And I looked at it like no one is perfect. I consider myself an an imperfect ally for LGBTQIA+. And this community is not a community that I know every single thing about because it's not a community that I'm a part of, but it's a community that I very vehemently stand for, equality for them. And so I understood from the ally side what it looked like to want to support someone, but yet also understand like, I don't really want to put my foot in my mouth but if I do I have to you know make amends apologize learn how to do better and move forth because any disadvantaged disenfranchised marginalized minimalized use any term that you want group doesn't have the luxury of waiting until you get past your fear to finally do it correctly because these things are happening now and so to see these these people that wanted to do better, yet were just simply afraid of not knowing how to do it better because they didn't know what the standard was going to be or who was going to hold them to it. And I I was determined that I can't I can't judge or affect whether or not you feel shame. If you feel shame, then it's likely that there's something there for you to address. It's likely that there's something there that can be talked about can be, you know, kind of pulled apart for you to really figure out what are the main threads in this? What are the roots of this? What do I need to do to be different? But I am not going to put shame on you. I am not here Mm -hmm. to tell you how terrible you are because of that one thing that you did 10 years ago that you now know was terrible and that you (laughs) don't want to do anymore, but you didn't know. And you now want to do something different because I think if we're going to be a culture of redemption, then we have to be a culture of redemption. And so when you Hmm. lead with how terrible you are for not knowing and what you did wrong, it undermines the entire, you know, basis of what you're saying you want the change to be. You're perpetuating change never being able to happen. Yeah. Um, Earlier, I asked you how you learned or how you uh, evolved to operationalize those values that were really important to you um, with Silver Immersion. I'm curious how you are operationalizing now in your coaching business, this stand that you have for um, imperfect allyship, taking imperfect action, um, creating a space where people can explore and think and, uh, you know, take action without the fear that they've experienced in some other spaces. How are you actually making that 
work in your business, whether it's your products or the ways that you communicate with your clients? What does that look like? One of the main things that I do is if I give a workshop, if I am speaking on stage, if I am writing website copy, I say from the word go, this is a shame and guilt free space. And for me, that's an important thing to kind of lay down from the word go, because I want it to be known that this is space that you can ask questions, you can look for clarification or context, because I'm a I'm a very big proponent of if you just simply have questions, these are things that you can take to Google and figure out on your own. But if you're looking for context and you're looking for, okay, mm-hmm. I don't want to have you speak for everyone in this group, but can you give me your take and what your experience has been? And I don't think that that can happen if you're afraid to ask questions because you don't know if you're going to ask it perfectly. Um, so I let people know that that is something that can happen. You can do that. Um, if you feel as though something is said and it's like, oh, did I say that right? I'll, I will let you know if I feel as though there were any challenges with it or there's something that maybe we need to kind of address. But I give people space to ask and to speak in a way that they can be a little more candid, not to the point of being offensive, but to the point of mm-hmm. they don't have to constantly self-censor. So I think... I literally say that. I put that in copy. I focus a lot on imperfect allyship and imposter syndrome because to me, those are two really big things that go hand in hand with this work. Because if you don't address that, then it's likely that you're going to run up against it when it comes time to be in action because here we are and you feel like you can't do it if you can't do it perfectly or I I can't do this thing. Like there's no way. And then the fear comes in. And so... I let people know this every step of the way. And that's been a big thing as to why some of the workshops that I've done, why I've gotten them, because people know that when I bring information into their spaces, into their communities, to their audiences, that it's coming from a place of connection and conversation and information. And it's not about shaming. It's not about you didn't know this. So that's terrible. It's about, Hey, Um, here's some things that need to be different. Here's what they look like now or what they have looked like. Here's some of the changes that can be made. Let's talk about how they can move forward. Let's talk about goals. Let's figure out how changes can be made. And if you're running into individual things, then we can address those things. But you're not going to be made to feel lesser than. Because to me, if you are supporting a group that already feels lesser than, and then it's just put back on you, this is a conduit that I am not okay continuing. Yeah. So it, it comes back to that thing where you got to say it and then you got to say it 20 more times oh, and 20 yeah. more times, oh, right? Yeah. Because, <laughs> because you never know when anybody is hopping in there for their journey or yeah. what information they're taking and where. And so I say it and I say it more. And again, I model it, you know, I and that's why yeah. I talk about what my allyship looks like. And it's not perfect, but... I, I mean, I, I mean it from on a, on a visceral level. It is something that is extremely important to me. As someone in an interracial marriage that about 60 years ago, it was illegal. I understand what it looks like for someone to say, you can't get married to a person that you love because I don't agree with it. Yeah. And even with marriage equality being a thing, there's still a lot of work to be done. And that's putting it mild. 
differently. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so you have talked about imperfect action and imperfect allyship a couple of times. Um, and I would love to hear about how uh, your imperfect action kind of comes to fruition. Can you tell us about a time when you have taken imperfect action in your own leadership or towards your own leadership? So back in October, um, I was able to do a workshop at um, She Podcast Live. And when I was there doing this, there was a, a spot where um, someone that I, I know and I hold very dear was not able to come. And so myself, um, my co-host on my show and my business partner, India, and um, two other young ladies that we know decided, you know what, we're not going to let this just kind of sit like this. We're going to honor her and we're going to create a talk and we're going to pitch it. And this was literally like a 24 hour thing. And we, we came up with it. We created it. Um, you know, our, our friend that was the moderator, she does PR, she pitched it and it got accepted. And we did a panel that was all of, there was all women of color. That was not about us being women of color. Mm. We heard that quite a bit. And so we, we did not have any plans for this. We were not there like, okay, let's do this. I mean, and for me, like I came with my outfit I was going to wear to be on stage and the rest was to be an attendee and I was not prepared. <laughs> and yet the opportunity was there. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to leave here and not take this opportunity that was literally just dropped on us. And, and so we stepped in and we fully just created something to not only bring all of the expertise that we individually carried, but to honor our friend that was not there because it was very important for this space to still be able to deliver content to those that were there that was in the vein of what she would have done, but yet through the lens of what we as individuals had to bring to the table. And it was, it was a lot and it was, I'm sure it was imperfect in a whole lot of ways, but it got done and it felt so good to do it and to know how well it was received. And I mean, that was amazing. That's incredible. There are so few people who would be willing to step up and fill someone else's shoes on 24 hours notice with no preparation. <laughs> so that's such a <laughs> great illustration of your own sense of leadership. It was huge. It, but again, it was one of those where, we didn't come all that way to not do it all the way. And I yeah. was willing to do it imperfectly and still show up because I knew that, and I have a very high bar for myself and I work on that. That is my personal work. Um, I knew that likely any of the things that I felt like were imperfect were probably not going to be picked up by anyone else. And it's a very good example of, what imperfection can truly be because often people are worried about imperfection being what what someone else is actually picking up or perceiving and there's a lot of things that they probably didn't get noticed and it was probably way better than what you're giving yourself credit for and that's why i really advocate for people to move imperfectly as long as you're moving like don't be a jerk about it now i'm not giving you free reign to just go do the things <laughs> ridiculously. But, you know, 
if you know that you're doing it and it's like, oh, but I don't know if it's going to be perfect. Did I, did I do all the things that I research enough? Just do it. Just do it. I love that. Erica Corday, that is a perfect place to leave today's conversation. Thank you so much for sharing the story of your own leadership and growth as a business owner. Thank you so much for having me here. Find out more about Erica Corday at ericacorday.com and find her podcast, Pause on the Play, wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, you'll hear from Shannon Siriano-Greenwood about how her values led her to start the Rebel community and how her values are guiding the way Rebel levels up and branches out. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistance is by Kristen Runbeck. Find over 260 more episodes of What Works at explorewhatworks.com.